Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Last day of the week, first day of the month. We got Curtis Rogers filling in for Stacey Ross. I am Michael Bumpus. How you feeling about this Friday? Feeling good because uh, we got some Mariners baseball hitting the airwaves right after us today. Uh, that's going to be at, I think, 11.55 is when the pregame show starts. So we're leading right into that. Uh, I mean, vibes are up on a Friday because we got some positive Mariners news. We'll get to that coming up in headline rewrites. And uh yeah, we're going into a weekend. We got paid today, Bump. It's paid. Great. It's a good day. It's a good Friday. We got Brady Bones on the ones and twos helping us out today. He's also working the Mariners game. Bones got a long day. Now, we call him Bones for a reason. My man is like seven foot two, 125 pounds. That's right. And That's right. Uh, his diet consists of goldfish and Celsius energy drinks. But today he told us that he brought a couple sandwiches in. Yeah, got to stay, got to stay refueled, refreshed. You, you, you're pulling. We need you to go at least seven innings today, Brady. All right. I mean, I like being on the thinner side, but I've also realized, okay, there's a little bit of too thin in me, so I need to, I need to put on a little bit of weight. Dude, trust me. Right. Hold on to your yeah. youth because yeah. once the weight starts piling once, on, once the it's hard to age stop. goes up, you're <laughs> oh, not no. going to have to worry. The person that hates on it the most is Matt Nelson because anytime I'm talking about it, Matt just stares at me and he goes. I hate you. <laughs> Enjoy it while it lasts. But you know what? Uh, second day in a row, we're starting this show talking about Gino. I know people are like, why are we speculating? Uh, why are you always talking uh, about Gino? Why? Because it's speculation season. The combine's going down. John Schneider's in Indianapolis talking to quarterbacks. He's They've spoken to Jaden Daniels already, Drake May, J.J. McCarthy. Even I'm getting reports that Michael Pratt, the Tulane quarterback, has had an interview or sit down with the Seahawks as well. So John is out there doing his thing. Here's the good news. Uh, the Bleacher Report's Jordan Schultz says, look, Gino has received assurance that he's going to be the quarterback in 2024. I think most of us thought that already. Yeah. Gino should be the guy. He deserves to be the guy. But they are in Indianapolis looking for a quarterback. Who's going to be the guy to replace them? And they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing their due diligence. And cut number one, Schneider talks about that. We have to be ready for anything. You know, we don't know if there a certain trade will go down or if something happens. I mean, got you've seen you guys have seen players fall in the past, and you've seen teams be able to jump up and have successful trades moving up into the top ten to grab guys. And yeah, so you just have to be prepared, prepared for everything and, and not just rule players out like, hey, we're not we're never going to be able to draft that guy. Now there's a couple of players in here. We're kind of like, okay, well, we're probably not going to have a shot at that guy, but we do study him, we do talk to him, we do get to know him as much as we possibly can without you know going over the top with it but we you, you have to know every player as much as you possibly can and not not take any shortcuts they're just doing their homework curtis they are doing their homework and i mean you you can choose to not read into these interviews that they're doing but if i if i didn't read into any of this bomb i wouldn't be doing my job exactly so when i see that yes they have given geno smith assurances that he'll be on the team in 2024 like cool like he's definitely gonna be your starting quarterback week one but he's gotten no assurances that he'll be here beyond 2024 and I do wonder bump if these interviews that the Seahawks have been doing this week in Indianapolis are telling us more about the 2025 roster than who's going to be taking snaps in 2024 because 
we have heard that the 2025 rookie quarterback class is supposedly not as good as this year's crop in 2024. So maybe you strike while the iron's hot. You've got Drake May. You've got Jaden Daniels, J.J. McCarthy. All three of those guys have reportedly met with the Seahawks this week in Indianapolis. You mentioned the kid from Tulane, Pratt, uh, has met with the Seahawks too. So it's not like it's just you know top of the draft quarterbacks either that have met with the Seahawks. There's guys that are probably slated to go rounds three, four, and five, two. And I look at the Seahawks right now, bump and. Everything that we have heard from John Schneider and Mike McDonald over the re- in recent weeks, none of it has been like, yeah, Gino's our guy. Like, why, why, el- who else would be taking snaps for mm-hmm. us at quarterback? It's just kind of been like, yeah, he's our guy. Like, or yeah, he's our starting quarterback for now. We're not going to commit to anything beyond 2024, <laughs> and we're going to play it by ear once we get to the 2025 offseason. And if you've already got a quarterback in hand, a la what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes behind Alex Smith and kind of what the Packers did with Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers, maybe that's the route the Seahawks are taking in this draft. I like it. I love it. I want more of it. Keep Geno as your number one guy, and you go ahead and you find another quarterback, somebody who can develop, and what I say last week, who can marinate. Let him marinate in all the sauces and spices and learn from Geno. Get to know Ryan Grubb and his offense. Get to know that offensive staff, Coach London, Firstman Palomalu over there. Uh, yeah, they, this is the approach that I think they should be taking. The question now is, how aggressive are they going to be with that number 16 pick, right? Are you going to try to flip that into a couple later, later picks in the second round or whatnot are you going to try to move up we don't we explored that scenario yesterday i think you and i settled on we don't think they are going to do it because of the things they would have to give up to mm-hmm. move up and um it's not that urgent to get a Jaden daniels or caleb williams or a, a, a may maybe even a jj mccarthy because gino was there because gino's a veteran and he's done his thing uh it, it allows them to be a bit more patient with that quarterback position doesn't mean you can't find a quarterback in the later rounds a second third fourth round uh that could be serviceable and possibly take over when gino is uh, is all said and done but here's the, the funny thing is that um, they've met with all these quarterbacks but they have not met with Penix. Now, why haven't they met with Penix? Here's uh, his thoughts on that. I actually didn't talk to the Seahawks. You know, I, I don't know if, um, I don't know why that is. Maybe they know me. Uh, hope so. But, um, man, I'm super excited for him. Um, him and Coach Huff, you know, the things that they were able, able to do with us at University of Washington, you know, special. And uh, to see them uh, get success at the next level, you know, I, I'm super excited to see it. So why do you think they haven't met with Michael Penix Jr.? Because their offensive coordinator was Michael Penix's offensive coordinator at UW. I think they've got a book on Michael Penix already written. They don't need to to visit with him. I mean, he played just a a few miles down from Lumen Field Mm -hmm. this season. So meeting with Michael Penix I don't think is going to be of the utmost importance to the Seahawks this offseason. They've got his offense his former offensive coordinator uh on the staff here. Like he's going to know everything there is to know about Michael Penix. They have his former offensive line coach too and Scott Huff. So it's not like the Seahawks are entering this draft without anything on Michael Penix even though, you know, every Husky fan you talk to is like go out and get number nine, like do whatever it is that you can do to get him in a Seahawks uniform. But if he's not the best quarterback in their mind, wherever it is that they're picking and maybe pick 16 or, or if they take a quarterback later in the draft, then 
I don't think you need to force the issue. Like you don't need to force taking the hometown guy just because he's the hometown guy. Like you need to go out and evaluate this class and, and make the right pick. It, it reminds me a lot, Bump, of in Pete Carroll's early years, anytime there was a USC player projected to go wherever the Seahawks went, everybody was like, oh yeah, they're taking him. Remember in the 2011 draft, uh, or no, the 2010 draft, the top two safeties on the board, I think Eric Berry went to uh, Kansas City right yep. before Earl Thomas got picked. But after Eric Berry, it was Earl Thomas and it was Taylor Mays, the O'Day kid who was built like a a tank, uh, balled out at USC during his career. Mm-hmm. Everybody assumed that the Seahawks would go Taylor Mays because Pete Carroll had coached him at USC. That didn't happen. He went and took Earl Thomas. The rest is history. Earl Thomas put, could end up in the Hall of Fame one day because of what he did in his Seahawks career. I kind of feel the same way with anybody that is a former Washington Husky where it's like, oh, well, they've got Ryan Grubb on staff. They've got Scott Huff on staff. Like it's just, you know, already predetermined that they're going to take Troy Fautanu or Michael Penix or, you know, some other guy that wore the purple and gold. Like I don't necessarily think it's a guarantee that Penix ends up in a Seahawks uniform because of who is on the Seahawks staff. Relationships are great. I think it's nice that Ryan Grubb has a relationship with Michael Penix because while they're going through this process, you can kind of um, you have an insight on the guy already. You don't have to force the issue and say, okay, we have to meet with him right now to see what he's all about. Ryan Grubb has worked with him for two years. He has um, the, the 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 notes on who Michael Penix is. Now, I think Michael Penix will be in VMAC eventually, and they will have that interaction and go through the medical and and watch film with them and and do it that way but there's no point in going down to Indianapolis and doing it right now they're they're okay if they do they're okay if they don't I look at Michael Penix and that is the the comfort pick remember when Pete Carroll first got the job over here in Seattle and he brought in Lindell White oh yeah connection there you you played at USC Lindell White was a part of one of the greatest backfields of all time with him and Reggie Bush Uh, I believe he was at Tennessee before he was with the Seattle Seahawks he had some trouble there and Pete Carroll made a decision I feel like based off of his relationship was Lindell White a good pro? At one point, he was, right? My man uh, was a hard guy to take down. But eventually, he wasn't here. He wasn't in shape. Uh, the mental wasn't right. And Pete Carroll had to move on from him. It's important that you make business decisions yeah. at this level. You're not making decisions based off of, oh, I know that guy. Let's bring him in and take a look. You make decisions based off of what your coaching staff wants, what they need, and the evaluation of all your scouts. It's a, a team decision. One guy isn't sitting down and saying, all right, this is a guy that we need. The one guy who uh, who puts the final stamp on it, of course, is John Schneider. But um, it's a, it's a collective effort. So I kind of appreciate that they haven't gone out and spent some time with Michael Penix because they're putting it out there that it doesn't matter if we know you or not. We're looking for guys that we don't know, we have to evaluate, and that we feel are a good fit here in Seattle. Yeah, it, it reminds me, Bump, going back even further, when you have a guy going from the college ranks to the pro ranks in any sort of coaching scenario. Um, Steve Spurrier, when he went from Florida to the then, well, now they're the commanders, uh, the Washington football team, his two quarterbacks were quarterbacks that he coached at Florida, Shane Matthews and Danny Werfel. And those two guys were awful pro quarterbacks, but he thought that because of the familiarity 
with both of those guys having been former Florida Gators, that was going to be a, a, a springboard for success. And we all know how the Spurrier era in Washington mm-hmm. ended. It ended, I think, after two seasons and like five and eleven both years. Like he was not a good pro coach. Goes back to the college game, has more success in South Carolina. Um, that's kind of the cautionary tale. Another thing stemming from this quarterback conversation, all these interviews that the Seahawks have had in Indianapolis this week, and then the news yesterday from Jordan Schultz, or at least the report from Jordan Schultz that Geno's received assurances that he'll be back on the team in 2024, is that if the Seahawks draft a quarterback bump, what does that mean for Drew Locke? It means that uh, he's most likely gone. Yeah. They don't typically keep three quarterbacks on uh, the roster. And a guy like Drew Locke, it's almost like you want to – you ever heard of that uh, that phrase like uh, – uh, if if you love me, you'll, you'll let me go. You know, it's like that's how I look at Drew Locke. We know they like Drew Locke. We know they love Drew Locke. But sometimes it's best if you just let him go. Now, John Schneider's doing what he's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. He's keeping that door open. He's keeping that window open just in case things don't work out. He does. He does. We'd love to have him back. The first year after we traded for him, he was supposed to have the second game, I believe. Yeah, it was against Chicago in the preseason. And he got COVID real bad. Lost his legs. So he plays in the third game against Dallas and just did not have his legs at all. Threw a couple of balls that he'd love to have back. And then once that happened, you know, Shane Waldron, Pete, Dave Canales, those guys did a phenomenal job of, of, of instilling that confidence in Geno. And once once Pete uh, named Geno the starter, Geno's confidence just went through the roof. Drew had a nice, you know, he had a nice year for us this year. Played those two games, played great two games for us. And yeah, we'll be meeting with all, all those guys down here this week and hopefully we can have them back. We love to have him back, but we are going to talk to every quarterback uh, that we can talk to. Yeah. In a perfect world, I mean, sure, you run it back with, with Drew and Geno, at least in the eyes of John Schneider. But, I mean, I think Locke is going to have a market, especially as you pointed out yesterday in four-down territory bump, the in, the insane number of quarterbacks that took starting snaps last year, 66 in total across all 32 teams. That comes out to more than two per team. The second most quarterbacks to ever start a game in a season, uh, 68 was the previous high, and I think that was set in the 2021 season. So Mm -hmm. we're starting to see it more and more often, especially now with 17 games in the regular season. Quarterbacks get banged up a bit more, uh, and being able to make it through all 17 games, like, the backup quarterback spot has has increased in importance, and Drew Lock showed this year that he can keep the you know the ship steadied. He can make sure that a team, if need be, pushing him out as as the starting quarterback, uh, that you know things won't fall in fall in the trash. And he showed that you know he's got a hose at times, and uh, he can use it properly. And I mean, you want to have a great backup quarterback, but. I think if the Seahawks do draft a quarterback this year, especially one in the early rounds of the draft, I don't think Drew Locke is back in Seattle. Yesterday I said, if you want a quarterback that can be your Ryan Fitzpatrick, that can come into camp and compete and be a solid backup, I pointed at Gardner Minshew. If the Hawks do not bring back Drew Locke, I'm going to throw Drew Locke into that mix as well. Let's get the headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacey.
Headline number one, the Mariners announced today that Matt Brash has medial elbow inflammation and can resume playing catch this coming Tuesday. What's the real headline? Real headline, the sigh of relief Mariners fans let out could power the entire region. I thought it was a wrap. I thought so too. I thought we were going to be coming on the air today Mm -hmm. and saying Matt Brash, Tommy John surgery and and all the stuff that comes with that. But no, he will resume throwing on Tuesday. Bump, I can't think of... uh, better news on the Matt Brash front than, than what we got today from Justin Hollander. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was going to be a wrap. Um, I'm happy that uh, he will res- resume throwing. To me, my, I always go to a dark place. I go, but is it only a matter of time before it happens? <laughs> that's the way my brain works. I shouldn't be this way, but that's the way I am. Here's Justin Hollander on uh, that whole situation. He got an MRI uh, that was reviewed by our physicians me and Dr. Meister. He also went to see Dr. Meister. The conclusion of everyone is that uh, diagnosed with medial elbow inflammation, so elbow inflammation. He's doing really well with the treatment. Uh, We anticipate him starting a throwing program on Tuesday or Wednesday. So, you know, the rule of thumb generally is two weeks off, which it will have been roughly on Tuesday, Wednesday, two weeks to get back on the mound to where he was on the 20th, and then he will need to go through his spring training at that point. I mean, good news. Yeah. Good Friday. That's why we're feeling good on this Friday, because it looks like, you know, Matt Brash will probably miss some regular season time, but it doesn't look like it is a worst case scenario. It kind of reminds me bump last year of Andres Munoz, who missed the first month of the season and then came back in May. Now, Munoz did experience a dip in velocity at the end of the season. I wonder if it was just fatigue because uh, he was being used just about every day. Same with Brash. I hope that it doesn't get to a point this season where you're running Brash and Munoz out every single day just because every game you play in is tight. Like, give these guys some some extra days off because Munoz has had Tommy John surgery in the past. Brash is entering this season with some elbow inflammation. Uh, Gregory Santos, he it looks like he's increased his throwing program, but he's not back fully yet. You've got question marks in your bullpen right now. You got to make sure that these guys make it through the season healthy. Headline rewrites. Headline number two, the Cougs use a second half comeback to beat USC to keep pace in the Pac-12 race. What's the real headline? Real headline in typical Coug fashion. They turned in their work at the very last minute and passed with a C. Done that a hundred times at WSU. A <laughs> hundred times. You know how many nights I didn't stay up? Had a six-page report due. Man, <laughs> hey, hey, the best part is when you're typing up your uh, your papers and you wait to double space it just to see how much damage you've done. Yes. You, uh, that was the best feeling in the world. You want to know another secret to increasing page length on a report? Find every period, increase it to one font size higher. Oh, that adds about a, okay. a half page to your uh, to your report. But yeah, that game last night, Bump, uh, I didn't think the Cougs were going to pull it off at, at certain points in the second half. USC uh, got off to a, a pretty decent start in the first half, had the lead for most of the second half, but uh, that Cougs ball club, Isaiah Watts, uh, grandson of Slick Watts, uh, really helping the Cougs cause last night. And uh, now they're still just a half game back of Arizona. Come on now, finish up. Now, yesterday, Curtis 
was speaking with logic and not emotion. And I really appreciate him for that because it, it allowed me to go off of emotion and use his logic. Yeah, yeah. And he pretty much said that he thinks that the Cougs might tie this thing up, eventually taking the Pac-12 championship first time since 1914 just because of the matchups that Arizona has uh, waiting for him. Do you still feel that way after watching what the Cougs did last night? So I mentioned that UCLA was going to be the game for Wazoo that I would be most concerned with, but UCLA now has dropped three in a row. They got blown out last night by the Huskies who have had a really tough go of it here in, in conference play. I do want, I, I, it's so unpredictable right now in the Pac-12, just how teams at the bottom of the conference have been playing. Like USC was projected to be one of the best teams in the conference. That's not the case this year. Same with UCLA. I feel like both those teams can beat anybody on any given night, but like they have significantly underwhelmed. Uh, so it is such a toss-up right now with these games. I still think the Cougs can can beat UCLA tomorrow. Uh, and then they've got the season finale in the Apple Cup of Hoops against Washington next week. Um, and then looking at Arizona's schedule, they play Oregon, who is a pretty decent team, and, and Oregon's in a desperate spot too. They could still make the NCAA tournament if they probably pick up a win against Arizona and then go on a run in the Pac-12. So they're going to be getting the Ducks' uh, you know, biggest fight tomorrow too. I, I think the Cougs can, if they can weather the storm against UCLA and Washington, I think they have a really good shot at, at being regular season champs. I'm co-emceeing a Coug event tomorrow at the Hyatt in Bellevue. We are postponing the start of the event to watch this game. If it goes down, you know it's about to go down at that event. Headline rewrites. Headline number three, the Kraken and Philip Grubauer hit the Penguins with a 2-0 shutty. What's the real headline? That's right. Real headline, don't let the Kraken get hot. Don't let it. They're playing some good puck right now. Come on now. Hey, this is um, <laughs> this is the run we've been waiting for. Remember that 6-7-8 uh, game winning streak that they had and then they like, it was lost? nine, yeah. Nine, yeah, franchise record. Then lost, what, four out of their, their following six. Um, th- this is the Kraken. This is who they are. Ups and downs, smiles and frowns. <laughs> we are up right now. Yeah, they are seven points back of the Nashville Predators right now for the final wild card spot in the Western Conference so they need as many you know two-point games as possible uh, they have played two fewer games though than Nashville so potentially you know you tack on two more wins there and you're only what three points back of Nashville if you even that up so uh, they got a tough one though coming up tomorrow against the Edmonton Oilers who at one point were the hottest team on the planet I think they won 16 straight at one point um, and then obviously, I mean, it's, it's Connor McDavid. Come on. It's Connie Mack. Connie I mean, Mack. Just <laughs> Return of the Mack. The, there might not be an athlete. I mean, there are those certain athletes right now that you have to tune in for. In baseball, it's Shohei Otani. In the NBA, it's probably, what, the Joker? I mean, it's still yeah. like LeBron. Mm-hmm. Giannis, it's those guys. In the NHL, it's, it's Connor McDavid. It's Connor McDavid. And it's everybody else. Yep. All right. Hey, we got a good show for you today. We got uh, Gary Hill joining us at 11. But today's show is like that old man at the country club's drive. You know what that is? Short and sweet. Right down the fairway. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the NFL combine, man. Things are changing. Um, is it good? Is it bad? We'll tap in on that next. Bumping Stacy. 
powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Curtis Rogers in for Stacy Ross. I'm Michael Bumpus on this beautiful Friday. Let's get her done. Curtis, um, things change in this world. There was a time when I used to carry a Nokia phone around that only had a game called Snake on it. And now <laughs> I can play Call of Duty, 2K. Yeah, you can do anything. Madden, Madden. on this thing. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Times change, so things change with that. And this year, I think we're seeing a change in the combine. And I'm here for it, man. Yeah. We're, we're seeing that Marvin Harrison is not going to run. He just run. ghosted everybody. Everybody. Look, I'm not, I'm not interviewing. Like I, don't, I don't need to be I'm here. not running. No media. None of that. You know what? Go ahead and go to Ohio State for that pro day. I'm doing nothing there you can, either. You can tell that he's the son of Marvin Harrison Sr., not just because his name is Marvin Harrison Jr., <laughs> but also because Marvin Harrison Sr., I don't know if I could even tell you what his voice sounded like. Like, Can't tell you. He was one of the most elusive people in NFL history, not just on the field, but also like never did interviews, never did commercials, never did anything like that. Just kept to himself. He also, you know, had a pretty sketchy car wash in in the Philadelphia area, but like that's a different story. But you can tell like the way Marvin Harrison Jr. is, is handling this, you can tell his dad is like, Follow my lead, son. Yeah, you'll end goes, up with a gold jacket. Follow my lead, and uh, you are in a position of leverage right now. You are the best receiver in the country. I still give that to Rome, but that's just me. Maybe West Coast bias. It's about time y'all get some of that. Um, and we spoke to Randy Mueller the other day. And before we get to this cut, man, 321 prospects um, go to Indianapolis for the the combine. Now, for a lot of these guys, it's advantageous, and they probably should do it. The guys that you don't know, the the Michael Pratt's from Tulane, the, the, the guys who put up these godly numbers, but you never really saw them play or seen them play, it benefits them. Some guys, they just say, look at the film, and you know exactly who I am. That's how Randy Mueller feels. I think without a doubt, my emphasis was always on the film. I got nervous when we started moving people around and we hadn't played a game in two or three months. The film is is not going to lie. Anybody that's been around the game tells you that. You need to make up your mind on that. The hardest thing to gather is the intangibles, and those do play a factor, a big factor. So he says, watch the film. Randy Mueller was uh, an executive in the NFL for uh, several teams, the Charters, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, there's another team in there Saints as well. The Saints and Dolphins. Thank you. Um, he knows what he's talking about. A great interview yesterday. If you want to hear it, go back to yesterday's podcast. I think it was an hour or two, I believe it was. But uh, he goes, look, I want to look at the film. A lot of guys go to the the combine, really executives, to get to know the person. That's where you can throw the smoke screen and kind of weasel your way into a situation. Yeah. The film ain't gonna lie, but the personality might get you a little bit. Yeah, and that I think is the most valuable portion for a lot of these guys at the top of the draft is the interview process. Um, and Marvin Harrison Jr. just only doing that basically at the combine, and then Caleb Williams uh, early today. I think, or late last night, said he was not doing the medical portion of the combine. He was not going to do the throwing portion. He's just there for the interviews as well. So, yeah, I think the combine in 2024 is going to probably be the thing that gets the ball rolling for a lot of these top prospects to be like, you know what, I don't, I don't need this. Like, I'm, I only have stuff to lose if I go to the combine. I have really little to gain if I'm already being projected as a top five pick. Like if you're Marvin Harrison Jr., 
what is it that you can prove to somebody that's going to make you go top three that you already haven't proven? Like, there is nothing in it for him right now to show teams and to show these draft evaluators uh, that will, you know, move him up further in the draft because I don't think he's going to go any higher than probably third overall. Because you look at, you know, number one overall is the Bears, who are probably going to go quarterback unless for some whatever reason they decide Justin Fields is their guy. New England may go wide receiver. Washington uh, potentially going quarterback. Like, there is just not a lot for Marvin Harrison Jr. to do that would improve his draft stock. Um, But, like, it's not just players that are looking at the combine differently. It's coaches that are looking at the combine differently. If I had told you a decade ago, Bump, that multiple coaching staffs across the NFL would be like, you know what? This isn't for us. We're going to stay at home. We don't need this. Like, you would have been stunned. I would have been stunned. We all would have been stunned. Yeah, what about, what are they doing? Don't they want to see these guys run? Don't they want to see them jump? And we were in the... Um in the sports pit talking to BG, Brandon Gustafson about this whole situation. And I go, man, the combine was beneficial, I feel like, for more players in the early 2000s, in the 90s, in the 80s, when you didn't have access to all the film and all the resources that you do now, things have changed. Now, guys are like, look, I can evaluate this guy's film. We're going to invite him to our facility. The approach is just different. I think the combine benefits the NFL more than it does the top-tier player. The NFL, they're flying guys out. Um, they're they're benefiting off of this or getting TV money off this whole deal. It is a, it's a pageant at this point. And the approach is changing, and you can hear about that approach changing a bit here when John Schneider talks about it. Yeah, no, they're they're back in in Seattle, you know, working on offense, defense, special teams. All those guys are kind of getting to know each other and you know getting their systems in place. Yeah, it's just not just Mike not being down here. It's actually a number of head coaches that are not showing up anymore and and, and coaching staff because I think everybody does a really good job of again we've talked about this in the past, you know, all the stuff we learned during COVID. So all the zoom calls and you know the, all the information you can get on you know on video with with the coaching staff to get them caught up at a, at a little bit of later date there's other ways to do things we saw like covid was horrible right shut down the country people are getting sick but also taught us that you don't necessarily need to be in person to accomplish a mission <laughs> use the technology right. for crying out loud well, who's to say that the seahawks aren't you know putting mike mcdonald on a zoom to help meet these prospects mm-hmm. like i'm sure he's going to want some questions answered too but the fact that he's not in indianapolis this week i don't think is is necessarily a detriment to the draft process um but yeah it, it, we're just changing everything that we know about the draft process because i think it might be a little more efficient for everybody uh you know the guys at the top of the draft they're like why am i wasting my time here when i already know that like I've got assurances from teams that I've met with that if you're there at pick number four, pick number five, whatever, we're going to do whatever it takes to, to, to land you. At that point, you're kind of like, well, I don't need to push myself to the limits here if I've already got an assurance and, and I'm sec- I'm going to be secured financially for the next four to five years. Like, why why test yourself? I get that, you know, that goes against everything that old school football minds mm-hmm. have, have, you know, taught themselves to think where it's like oh you're presented with this opportunity if you're so confident in your skill set why aren't you just going out there and and letting it rip well i mean there's risk of injury there's all these things that that could go wrong that could tank your draft stock 
Uh, whereas, you know, if you're guaranteed a, a spot at the top of the draft, why ruin that chance? My response to the coaches would be because I let it rip for three years, for four <laughs> years. I risk injury. There are a thousand plus snaps that I've played over my career that should give you an idea of who I am on the field. Now, the person, that's where you have to dig deep. I'm okay with this shift. Um, if you guys listen to the show enough, you know that I'm all about the players, man. It is a players league. It's a, um, a players game. They make this thing go. Mm-hmm. The coaches got to set them up. But if you don't have the talent, then it's all bad. So, now, no, I'm, give them the power. I'm all for that. Do you think the NFL might pull an NBA here where, like, in the NBA load management is the the hot topic where they're forcing guys to play at least 65 games to be eligible for awards? Like, do you think we're going to see the NFL – maybe force some guy's hands and be like, you you need to do something here because we've flown you out. We have, you know, put you up here in Indianapolis and you're just not going to perform and, mm-hmm. and that's gonna tank our T V ratings. Like do you do you foresee that as sort of the the counter to to what we're seeing from the players and coaches? I don't think I think they would love to force them, but I don't I don't think they can because they're not employees of the NFL yet. True. But they can incentivize it. We'll give you Fifty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, if you show up and throw the football a couple of times, because everybody wants to see Caleb throw. So there's a shift, man, and, and I'm all for this, man. Players take back the power because they will cut you as soon as, as you cannot throw the ball, run as fast as you used to. They will cut you. Ty Fran struggled in 2023. He's put in a lot of work, and we've seen some of it already. Curtis, my man, is thin. He's uh, he's looking quicker out there. Uh, what has he done? to step his game up. We'll talk about that next on the Bump and Stacy show. We got Curtis Rogers filling in. Bump and Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Curtis in for Stacy Ross on this Bump and Stacy show Friday edition, aka the Dad Podcast. Holla, 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 holla. <laughs> holler at us. Oh man, Ty Friends is an interesting uh, guy, right? In 2022, he put together an all star type of season, at least for the first half, right? And then in 2023, we saw some struggles. And that's going to happen as an athlete. You're going to have your highs and your lows. And the offseason is uh, the perfect time. That's what you're supposed to do in the offseason is try to get right to work on things. And uh, Ty sat down with the morning show today, and he had um, gave us some insight of what he did this offseason to try to get right. There was a lot, a lot that went into it. Um, you know, like I said, we started with the the diet change, the the – strength training aspect um and then it, we realized you know it, the swing just hadn't been the same for the last couple of years so trying to figure out how to uh get that back and you know ne- not necessarily be who i used to be but i wanted to even be better than that and clean clean more things up because i knew you know it, it had been a while since i felt like myself so um you know fortunately the mariners were on board with me going to driveline he um he got to work and that's yeah. the response that you want now you don't get to the majors, to the professional level by accident. You understand the work that it takes. Sure. But to kind of step back and reflect and be honest with yourself and change up uh, your training regimen says a lot about who you are, in my opinion. Yeah, and you could tell that his swing had some pretty glaring holes in it. 
uh, over the last season and a half after he got injured in 2022 and then came back. It, it, you know, maybe the injury was barking a little bit. That was maybe the struggles, but it looked like he had gotten into some bad habits with his swing. And, and you and I, we were looking at his swing from 2023, uh, comparing to what we have seen so far in spring training. And it, it's, it's quieted down a lot more here in 2024. And I think that is a great thing because there was just so much pre-swing movement that Ty France did before getting his bat into the zone that I feel like, and you were talking about using you know golf as an example when you look at mm-hmm. somebody's swing, like the quieter their swing is, the more efficient it's going to be. And I feel like Ty France has really quieted things down with his swing. Uh, he talked about picking up an extra three and a half miles an hour of bat speed. Like that's going to be a huge factor in getting his bat through the zone. He's not going to be late so much. Like, I think what he was able to do this offseason, I mean, so far what we have seen has been a very positive development. And, I mean, look, Bob, if you you have Ty France hitting the way he did to start the 2022 season in 2024, like who knows what this team Mm -hmm. looks like. I I think – it's a playoff team for sure. If you have Ty France hitting above 300 and and hitting, you know, 20 to 25 home runs, like who wouldn't want that in their lineup? Yeah. And and he knows that he he knows that he recognizes that Curtis, the fastest football players I've ever been around are from the state of Florida. I don't care what anybody says. I'm from California. Texas has a claim to it, but it is Florida. So you know what I did? I went down and trained in Florida with some Florida boys. I wanted to see what it was all about. <laughs> Ty France didn't go to Florida. He went to your hometown. He went to Kent right. and said, what's going on over there in driveline? I'm sure you guys saw me hitting sure. my underwear. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the whole yeah, world you, saw you, you in your underwear. No, I appreciate that. that. Yes. No, that's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, so so started there. Um, and just it's amazing the, the technology that they have there and how um, quickly they're able to show you how inefficient your swing is. And, um, you know, we – after the very first eval, they sat me down. We had a, almost a two-hour meeting, and you know they said, this is what we're going to do this offseason. This is how we're going to fix it. I'm all for him going to driveline. They sat down and had a two-hour meeting Could about his swing. Imagine my goodness, having a two-hour meeting with somebody being like, here's what you're doing wrong. This is why job. you suck, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's like, that's got to be tough to hear. It's humbling, but you got to put in that work, though. Exactly. Like, the best athletes are the coachable ones. And I think Ty France kind of realized after 2023, like something's not right here with my swing. Something's Mm -hmm. not right because at every level Ty France has hit like that has been his calling card. That has been his number one thing is his ability to hit. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the case last season. That wasn't the case to end 2022. Hopefully we, we get to see that version of Ty France again. And I mean, if it took tough love, if it took the the criticism of outside voices, uh, you know, people who are not in the in the clubhouse with the Mariners every single day to get that message through to him, uh, you know, props to him for being able yeah. to to say, you know, I need to get this fixed. Yeah, you got to sit down and digest that. And I, I love that Ty switched things up, man. He's trying to get back to who he was. You talk about being able to um, to take in that information, taking that criticism and what that's like. Uh, Ty France responds to that. Honestly, no. Um, I That was the main reason I went there. I, I needed help. I needed needed that guidance. So I was all, all ears from the beginning. Um, and, you know, I... Everything they've they've wanted to do, I've tried, and if I didn't like it, it's, the communication's been great. Um, and to be honest, there's very little that I haven't liked. Like it's it's, it's helped me a lot. Um, 
I feel better. I, I feel cleaner. Um, my mechanics feel cleaner. So, um, yeah, definitely just excited to get that in action. Can't wait to see what it looks like. Um, it, it's a it's a constant yeah. um, thing you're working on. You don't just go to drive line, show up in spring training, and it's fixed. You, you feel cleaner, like he says, but there's constant reminders, like things you have to. Uh, it's almost you're, you're teaching yourself not an entirely new swing, yeah. but new feels. And you know, like I said, I couldn't hit a, a anything other than a fastball. All right, <laughs> but what I do know is that when my golf game is on point, I got the same feel yeah. every time I swing the club. Do you think? The Ty France is the Mariner under the most pressure going into 2024. Man, that's a good one. I think other than Julio, I always think your your uh-huh. big dog is going to be um, asked to produce. But when you have kind of the slip that Ty France had after coming off a, a, an all-star type season, yeah. yeah, I think so because, again, he's a guy that just puts the ball in play. And that is what this team was missing last year. For sure. And I think, too, it, he – is most in need of a great season because you look at potentially who's available, you know, via trade or via free agency at first base over the next couple of years. I know Pete Alonso's name it has popped up a lot uh, as a potential trade target because uh, it doesn't look like him and the Mets are really progressing towards an extension. Like it reminds me a lot of JP entering last season, who also went to drive line uh, prior to 2023, where the Mariners passed up on two tremendous shortstop classes because they were like, JP's our guy, even though prior to 2023, it's like, really? Like offensively, JP kind of leaves a little bit to be desired. He had a down 2022 and then had a phenomenal 2023. And I don't think anybody is doubting JP Crawford as the Mariners shortstop of the future. So uh, Ty France right now, he's somebody that I think is most in need of a great 2024. And, and you can't, you can't knock the, uh, the, or you can't knock the process that he put in this offseason. That guy went to work. Tell you one thing. If Ty comes out and balls, I'm buying stock and driveline ASAP before, <laughs> before they get too big. All right. That was Ty France. When we return, we'll talk to Mariners broadcaster Gary Hill. Let's talk more baseball. That is next right here on the Bump and Stacey Show.